This podcast has truly taken me around the globe in personalities and professions and all walks of life. But it's really amazing to be able to spend time and get back to kind of the center of what I do as my profession and speak with people in the fitness and wellness business. Today's guest on Dr. D's social network is Amy Thompson. Amy is truly well-respected, admired, and she is a leader in the fitness and wellness industry. I consider it a great pleasure that she was willing to sit down with me and chat about the fitness and wellness business, where things are going, and we just chop it up just like we do on the show with anybody. Just have a good time, chat about our past, our current times, and maybe a little bit about the future. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the conversation I had with Amy Thompson. All right, we're here with Miss Amy Thompson, and uh, I'm pretty juiced about this interview because, one, you have such an incredible reputation, by the way. People are big Amy fans along with me, so thanks for being on. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. So I saw you went to uh, George Mason. Is that correct? I did. I played basketball and volleyball at George Mason back in the 90s. Back in the day. I mean... I'm pretty familiar with that university. I went to high school around that area, actually. And uh, I graduated from high school in the, uh, what's the name of the basketball facility um, over there? But it was, it was the George Mason facility, whatever. But graduation was there. It was I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was funny when I went there and nobody knew who George Mason was. They would always say Georgia, Georgia Tech, Georgetown. Yeah. Until they made their Final Four run. And now people oh. proudly connect to George Mason to basketball, at least. I remember that. Wait a minute. Was it called the Patriot Center? Was that yes. what it was called? Yes. yes. You got yes. it. Yes. I'm back. I got it. Oh, Northern Virginia, you know. Um, it was great. And I went to James Madison University you know, down there. So it was kind of like everybody in my high school either went to like somewhere in Virginia, like George Mason, James Madison, William and Mary. It was like all these Virginia based things. You know? That's right. So it was an awesome time. But I would love to hear about, you know, you've been in the business a long time, kind of your beginnings of it. And then we'll just launch from there. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, landing at George Mason was a bit of a, a journey for me. I grew up in Provo, Utah, and I'm one of 10 children. Whoa. And yeah, <laughs> five boys, five girls. We had our own basketball team in the family. <laughs> and I was one of the older children. So um, as both of my parents had graduated from college, they met in college. My father was an athlete at BYU, but there was never really an expectation for me to go to college. Um, I always knew that if I did, it would be on me to find a scholarship. So while I was always a great student, I was, I excelled at athletics and I was drawn to athletics and um, our, our high school programs were phenomenal. So I got exposure and I went to a junior college in Idaho first. So I went to Utah, to Idaho, played out basketball, volleyball, and then earned a scholarship to George Mason University, which is where I spent three years, two playing basketball, one playing volleyball and earning my degree. Awesome. So during that time, were you thinking that, you know, health, fitness, wellness was going to be part of your life and business wise or career wise? 
You know, at the time, again, early 90s and not really having um, a lot of vision to what my future career would be, I thought I would become a high school coach. It seemed to be the logical path. My university didn't have exercise kinesiology degrees, uh, so I graduated with a physical and health education major, and I also specialized in athletic training. So upon finishing college, I thought I would work with teams and possibly coach, and that would be my life. Um, Then at that time, I started working at an all-women's health club just down the street from George Mason. It's the Women's Club in Chantilly, Virginia. And (laughs) I, you know what, I fell in love with the experience of um, impacting lives and just being a guide, if you will, to help people realize their success and their, their health. And it changed my career path forever. I, I never left the health club space since that time Mm -hmm. in 1994. So during that time, I mean, it was a while. And I remember that because I got, man, I wasn't in college then, but I started 96 in uh, college. But what was the scene like at that time in health and fitness as compared to what you're seeing it now? Well, there were a few certifying agencies that had started. And on the on the East Coast, we were most familiar with NSPA, National Sports Professionals Association, which was started by John Philbin. And so um, I was on the East Coast. I wasn't familiar with anything really happening out West with any other entities. So I got certified out of college. I got certified as a personal trainer with NSPA and from there, they actually used to do the exams in person. So you would you would study your materials, you would attend some trainings together all weekend, and you would apply the information as you learned it. And then you would go back and take your practical exam and a written exam in person. And so eventually I became a facilitator for that organization. And when I moved to San Diego, I started proctoring and interning students to then get certified and graduate through that that um, personal training certificate. Utah, Idaho, Virginia, <laughs> San Diego. <laughs> and eight years in Denver and now back to San Diego. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was that like for you? I mean, you were going from kind of the middle a little bit, kind of west, and then boom, then all the way over to San Diego. Beautiful weather. Well, now that I've lived in San Diego, it was 14 years before I went to Denver. I was in Denver 8, and we obviously made a, a choice to come back. Um, San Diego is home for our family. We love it here. It's the right climate for me. It's the right uh, healthy vibe that we love, the outdoor living. So all of the other places I lived were lovely for their own reasons, and I've met amazing people, but San Diego's our home. It's pretty amazing. I love San Diego. Really yeah, cool place. So as you were kind of rising in the industry, you're going through these different, you know, um, paths in it. What did you start realizing about the business as you were moving through it? Well, the first thing, so our fitness, the fitness industry is really a young industry, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people don't realize. So at the time, at this time, 
the profession of personal training was in its infancy. So there weren't a lot of business models or blueprints. And I was trying to build a full-time business around training clients through a health club. So really, we were pioneers in the sense that we were creating commission models and whatever we would charge our clients, we came up with all the pricing structures. We were, um, obviously, we have so much to learn and still do about the human body and how, how to help help clients meet their goals with different interventions. But I would say the biggest the biggest thing that was happening then was just us figuring out how we're going to carve our profession and how we're going to really um, advocate for the career of personal trainers. And, um, and that was a lot of the work that we did in the early days was just to try to help us be more professional and build our clientele and, and get health benefits and all the things that were yeah. so important at the time. Yeah. What do you think? Is there, do you think there's any stigma related to be in the fitness, being in the fitness profession or maybe how the public views it? Yes, absolutely. Um, and especially having trained in California and early, mm-hmm. a lot of people became celebrity trainers and, you know, there's now the, the celebrity trainer has now been called the influencer. So if you're familiar with any of those terms, mm-hmm. those are often, it's um, maybe a trainer who's, really focused on the consumer and not so, um, let's say, focused on the different steps that you and I took as in terms of academia or certification to get to where we were. But um, they've kind of fast-tracked their way to meeting the consumer's needs, and it they maybe missed a lot of the steps that would help them to be more informed about the human body and to be uh, more really tuned into all the continuing education that that we need as professionals as the everything keeps evolving, as I spoke about with science and with how we can meet, uh, learn more about the human body. So, yeah, I think it really it's about um, we got a bad rap from trainers also just showing their abs and saying, train with me because I have good <laughs> abs. And, um, you know, but I think we've, we've overcome some of that, but now with the current influencer, it still exists and, and some consumers are drawn to that type of marketing. Why do you think that has persisted over time from more your celebrity trainer to now your influencer? Why does that still stick to a lot of people? Well, people want a result and they want change. And we, anything, if you know anything about marketing, it, it really is about this. Um, it, you, it's listen to what your friend does and then you'll, it's word of mouth or grassroots marketing. If you want to look good, you're going to ask the person who looks good, what do you do? Uh, so a lot of times people will just ask their friends, what do you do? What do you eat? And they'll get advice, good or bad, from those different people, whether they're professionals or not, or could be giving them advice that's helpful, or in fact, could be hurtful. Um, And so I think it's like any profession, you're going to have professionals who really study their craft and take the time to earn the degree and the certifications and study the human body. Or you're going to have people who just either genetically look good and uh, like to tell other people how they did it. And so that appeals to certain people. It's it's just human nature to want to ask someone who looks the way you want to look or who you admire physically maybe to see what they did to get that way or look that way. Do you feel that the profession um, in many ways sometimes attracts people or it's more of a hobby than a career? 
It has been because, the, again, if we go back to the business model, the business model is very much a uh, can be designed as a hobbyist or a part time business model. So even in health clubs, we were always looking for the trainer that wanted to build a full time clientele and help them to get to that point where they had uh, they were benefit eligible and they had a full clientele. But no different than, let's say, a hairdresser, you are really building your business one hour at a time and one, we, we like to say, package at a time. is It's very challenging to maintain and to build a full-time clientele. So it does attract a lot of people who like to train in the mornings, in the afternoons, in the evenings, and the commission structure is set up for that kind of hobby approach. And I think that's fine for people who, who want that from their career or want to blend it with another career, as long as they're doing the due diligence and the getting the education they need to be truly proficient. Um, So yes, it does definitely attract hobbyists or part-time trainers. And I think that's okay. Not everybody needs to be in this for full time. It's interesting because I think that uh, throughout my long career doing it, I've seen both sides, obviously being somebody that's been my career full time and stuff, but I've also seen the other side where they're, in, in many ways, it does attract a lot of hobbyists, especially what I've seen is particularly in clubs where it's like group exercise and you may have somebody just doing group exercise because it's just fun for them. It's not their career to do it. It's just something they like to do here and there, teach classes, be active. So I can see both sides to it, but I do wonder sometimes, does it hurt maybe the reputation overall of saying, oh, people say, well, this isn't really like a a real job, like full-time type. I don't know. Sometimes I have those thoughts though, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm sure you had the same biases through your career and and I was a PE major. So of course people will (laughs) say, well, okay, so you work out for a living or what is it exactly that you do, right? Like you do jumping jacks? Did you learn how to do jumping jacks today? I'm like, no. (laughs) So yes, there are still biases and and no, I don't train with my shirt off and I don't (laughs) um, flex in the mirror all day and some of the um, the different stereotypes that exist in our industry. But we, I will tell you that on the association that I'm running now, those are some of the biases that we try to overcome by putting out gold standard content and trying to elevate the fitness professionals in our industry so they will treat this as a career, whether it's part-time or full-time, that they will have the continuing education that they need to really fill in gaps in their knowledge. So you mentioned to me, I think off air, and we were talking about, you know, your work with advocacy. And I think it's an area that I certainly want to get more involved in as I move along in my career. What is it? What has attracted you to that level of work in the business? Well, I'll go, I'll go back to those early days in the industry and really creating and carving out this business model for personal trainers and trying to always chase the path to success. And how do we keep these fitness professionals in the industry longer? And how do we move that person who truly does want to move from being a hobbyist to being a full-time career trainer? How do we help them through those steps? So whether I was a personal trainer myself or a fitness manager, I've held every job that there is in a health club. So I could speak to each role, but um, I will say that no no matter which of those areas that you're in, we, we have a long way to go to keep helping to educate people to fill, to make a career out of fitness. On the 
group exercise you talked about an instructor it's impossible to teach enough classes physically in a week yeah. to become full-time so we teach people how to round out their careers and how to do some training here and maybe you're working the front desk here or you're doing online training here but you can still have a full and robust career in fitness uh, but the the adv- advocacy goes back to those early days of really trying to create this path for career professionals and to elevate the standards and the quality and the professionalism around some of the biases that we've just chatted about. And what what is there? I know I was talking to Graham about this, and you may have heard it when you were listening to his uh, episode about there was this whole thing, I remember, legislation related to licensing in different states. Can you speak a little bit about that? He talked a little bit about his perspective. I'd love to hear from your perspective about that. Yeah, so even before I was working with IDEA, I was on the advisory panel for ACE and doing some of the work in trying to help further our profession as it relates to licensure and to accreditation. So the... Um, I there are lots of certifying agencies in the fitness industry, and there's some that are that are that have a, a higher level of consistency, let's say, with regard to the way they test and how they test. And so there's different um, credentials by where we want fitness professionals to achieve that credential and maybe sit for that exam in person, like we said that we talked about earlier. So these. These measures are really to help the raise the professionalism and the standards to help people in our industry. Um, and I'm not as close to what ACE is working on in the last few years, but I can tell you for IDEA, we are really working to ensure that the the path is clear, that the career guidance that we're giving is helping fit pros really to achieve that standard is that level of standardization where we know that they have achieved a certain credential and they've achieved a certain measure and 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 professionalism, whereby eventually we can start to uh, start to get some more respect in the medical industry, let's say. And, and perhaps, you know, I know Graham talked about eventually getting some different healthcare initiatives that maybe mm-hmm. we could write off our, our dues to the gym. Um, we have a little ways to go, but I think it starts with really making sure that our professionals have reached that level of accreditation and standardization so that we can even uh, be considered for those types of measures. So as part of it, really, I'm just putting, thinking about it, there's, do you feel like our business should be a little more rigorously tested or maybe a higher entry level to get into? Or is it just more of guiding people wherever, wherever they enter into to getting to a higher level if they want, you know? So this is, this is an interesting question. I see it from both viewpoints. I see that one, we always have created this uh, path of go to high school, go to college, earn your degree, sit for your certification, and then continuing education through your career or advanced degrees, find your niche and keep growing through academia. And that's the path I was raised in. And, and that's the path that has worked for many professionals. But what I was seeing 
you know, early in my career, but let's say mainly the last 10 years is that fitness professionals were coming to us from all these different viewpoints and different franchise models and license models. And we as an industry, initially, we kind of threw up our hands and said, well, you can't work at my club because you didn't achieve this certification or you didn't Mm. get this degree. But at the same time, we need more professionals in our industry to serve people, to help people live more active and fit lifestyles. And I talked before about then helping people stay in the industry because we also have a problem with the trainers leaving the industry. So in this casting a wider net, we were bringing in fitness professionals that didn't have a traditional entry point. I was working with Fit for Mom, which is a fitness franchise, and we were getting new mommies who wanted, they had a desire to stay home with their baby, and they wanted to get a fitness certificate so they could teach fitness to new mommies and babies in the stroller. And so we were finding paths to help those women get certified and credentialed in the industry. It was not the traditional path that most people come into the field, and we knew that if they decided to stay in the industry, they they would need more education. We would need to fill in those gaps, as I say. Um, So I got really curious about how we can help more fitness professionals, regardless of how they find this profession, that we can help them to find those certificates and standardizations and continuing education that's going to help them to truly thrive and find success. Now, what advice would you give for someone looking to get into, let's just say personal training as one avenue, and they say, man, there are a lot of different certifications in here. How do I know which one to choose? What will give me good educational platform, at least in the science area to understand, or maybe has a good idea related to human behavior? How do you help somebody kind of enter that, the forest of different certifications? So I've done this for many years and uh, directed a lot of people. So I'll tell you, the first thing is that you should never expect to get into a profession where you can take an exam overnight and be qualified to, uh, (laughs) especially in the area of health and fitness. So if your first clue that that something smells bad is if it offers an overnight or an open book exam. So those two things you should probably rule out as good quality. Um, You can expect with one of the certifications that's respected in our industry and meets this credential, this standardization, it's an NCCA accreditation, but there's lots of other great certifications that haven't achieved that status as well. Um, These types of credentials are, will probably take you between four and six months to study adequately to be able to sit for the exam. And the, what, the exams that meet this NCCA accreditation are offered in a testing center. So you would not be taking the exam at home open book. You would need to go to a testing center, show your ID, and you would be timed in terms of um, taking the exam. So those are a few things to look for when you're thinking about a certification that really is respected or accepted uh, widely, let's say. But again, I I wouldn't rule out, I've been in the industry long enough to know there are other certifications and there's a few other affiliations that meet high standards and credentials. They just um, are maybe not on the bandwagon of the NCCA accreditation, but there's some other boards that offer some other certifications that follow another board of guidelines and are doing a great job as well. Now, I wondered this, 
And having you on, I'm like, maybe Amy knows this. I don't know. We'll see. But I wonder with so many certifications, what is the communication between the certification organizations, if any at all, or those relationships? Mm, great question. I know the answer to this. Yes. So, um, okay. So I, I'm in a unique perspective now because I work for an association and we endorse all CEC accredited, accrediting companies. So altogether, our content has to meet the standards of 27 different certifying agencies. And IDEA works with all of those agencies to make sure that our content is going to help that fitness professional to fill their continuing ed for the year and whenever they need to renew. So, um, so in terms of communication, I can tell you that each of those different agencies, regardless of who you're certified with, they are communicating with you regularly because they also don't want to see you lapse. They want to see you continue your education by, you know, maybe going to get some more nutrition information and accreditation. Graham talked about the health coach. I'm actually a certified health coach. So I was studying behavior modification. And these are all pillars that I would add to my resume over my career that really helped me to be more of a well-rounded professional. Um, so the ACE or all its competitors, they will be communicating with FitPros regularly and trying to keep you in their infrastructure and keep educating you. Uh, and then IDEA, because we have that umbrella and we work with all of those entities and all of those trainers, we are really in the business of content and we have the world's largest fitness professional event called Idea World. And so we're really helping fitness professionals in that journey on their career to, to continue providing inspiration and education. Well, very interesting. I just wonder, like, because there's so many different organizations. Yes. And it's just like an incredible amount. And it can be difficult to understand what, you know, may be right for you. But I also wonder, like, I started seeing the trend towards more health coaching or um, health behavior-based um, certifications, do you see that the industry and professionals are needing more guidance in terms of the psychological sciences when working with people? Yeah, it, it is an emerging area. And well, it has been for the last eight to 10 years, but ACE is one of the leaders in that area is really helping to educate the trainer to understand where the client is in that journey, because in the end, we're all in the business of motivation and behavior change is what we're trying to um, impact. And so we, as professionals, we really do need to understand where our client is in their journey and in, in that, uh, whether it's health, weight loss, or just improved health or whatever their goal is, they will encounter obstacles and they will have setbacks. And so the psychology of that, you know, we aren't psychologists, but we certainly can identify where our clients need help. We can create a network of professionals that we refer back and forth to, and we can identify some of these behaviors early on and try to have some, some types of interventions that might help them to get back in their program or to keep going toward that goal. So what are some initiatives you think or sh are or should be on the horizon in terms of our profession towards moving us to um, maybe a, a seat at a, a table where there's a little more of like, okay, we're, we're, we're a young profession. We need to grow. We need to have maybe a little more legitimacy, maybe in the public size and, you know, differentiation between 
celebrity influencers versus, uh, you know, people more like you and I, or people who are working in clubs, things of that nature. What's the initiatives that are out there? Well, we partner with ACE, for example, has a consumer initiative. So they are doing a lot of that work out in the community and helping consumers to know where to look for qualified trainers. Mm. We have what's called Fitness Connect. IDEA provides the world's largest registry. So all of the trainers and professionals in Fitness Connect are actually verified. So if you logged in and put down your credential and said, I'm a certified, I'm a health coach, it actually goes out and talks to ACE and says, is Amy Thompson an ACE certified health coach? And then it verifies you. So if I'm a consumer or I'm an employer, I know that this trainer is upholding their credentials and that they are taking their career seriously. And they're probably going to be giving me better advice than someone who um, may not have that same expertise. And then because I'm also part of a media company, so I'm running Oxygen Magazine, and I can tell you on that side of the house, we're doing our due diligence to make sure that our content, the coaches that we're putting in front of the consumer, even our elite ambassadors are also meeting those credentials. And I think that we need to keep um, insisting that other media companies are doing the same so that we're not spotlighting and highlighting influencers or giving them a microphone or a stage if they're not willing to invest in their education and really truly put their clients' needs first and, and uh, make sure they're not hurting anyone or, or disserving their clients. Uh, we're making sure that we're doing our due diligence with everybody that we give speaking or presenting or writing opportunities to. Sounds like it's more rigorous to me. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot, and there's a lot more. There's so much more. Um, You know, if you, if your listeners want to go back and listen to Graham Melstrand's segment, he was talking a lot more about the advocacy that's taking place in Washington, D.C. and how we're trying to further the profession around this um, really improving health services for all. the other thing, idea, we we want to really find programs that are serving the industry by more accessibility and, and then spotlight those programs. And how can we replicate those programs? How can we inspire our fitness professionals all over the world to make sure that we are providing these programs that one, provide a result, and two, meet the client where they are, and three, address the mental health issues that we're all going to mm-hmm. be seeing after after our time in indoors with COVID. Certainly. Um, but there's just so many needs that we have at the community level. And IDEA is one of those organizations that has personal trainers in every corner of the globe. So we will be highlighting and recognizing stories that create impact and replicating success throughout the world. You know, on the consumer side, I I wonder what your thoughts on how the consumer can become more informed in deciding who they work with. Because many consumers are, they see the the letters behind a person's name, they're like, I have no clue what that means. Or what is that? How good does that mean you are? And things of that nature. How can can the consumer be more informed about who they may be working with so they can make better decisions? 
Yeah, great question. So first, I think they have to ask. Um, you know, you, you want to be asking if it's no different than when you're looking for a doctor and you're looking to see, do they have the specialties in the area that I need? Do they have experience with patients like me? Uh, I'm not suggesting that we are at the level of a physician, but I, what I am saying is that we have the same, in terms of expertise and education, we have a a path whereby we are obtaining degrees and certifications. So you may not know what the initials mean, but ask, how long have you been training? Uh, where have you been training? Do you carry, one, do you carry your credential? But two, do you have liability insurance? Um, if I were to get hurt, um, have you hurt anybody? <laughs> no. Exactly. Uh, but, <laughs> but I think but really asking the questions and clients should be interviewing their trainer and and really making sure that it's a good fit because in the end your connection is going to be so powerful to your overall results and success yes the information yes the program that they have you on and these interventions that we talked about at meeting you where you're at in the psychology behind training but your connection is so important too so all of those things matter and you should take the time to make sure that you're with a professional that really understands your needs and and where you're trying to go and that you have the confidence they can get you there most definitely. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I wonder during your time in this long career, and, and what area has your perspective shifted the most during this time? Uh, we talked, well, <laughs> two areas. One, I'll okay. just speak to being a professional. When I became a mother, my whole approach to training women changed and understanding the human body. So as a trainer, um, I will say just having experienced the the pregnant body and training and um, helping that woman when she, after she's had a baby, that was transformational for me as a professional. But on the on the career side, I talked about it earlier. It was really this shift of, you know, I had been a national fitness director and even a COO for a company for a long time. And I, I felt I was in this, I was kind of getting caught in the cycle of the way the business has always been run. And I wasn't, but I was seeing different things happen. I talked about the professional that was coming into the industry and, you know, they weren't gaining traction in traditional clubs. They weren't uh, really able to, to make a, a, a living or earn a clientele and they were struggling. And then the other thing that we've talked about today is the consumer was telling us what they wanted and it didn't really match what we believed that they needed from an educational standpoint. So all of those things combined was what led me on a journey to really grow as a professional and better understand the consumer. So what I did was I went to work with one of the largest licensed fitness brands in the world. It's Les Mills. And I wanted to learn about what they've done to make a program that's lasted for over 25 years that still is taught in nearly every club in the globe, around the globe. And, um, and now they provide fitness in homes through On Demand. So I mentioned them because they were really disruptive and they were entering this world of digital fitness and they were they were taking surveys globally of 
participants to say, what is it you want from your fitness? What is it you want from your professional? And how can we as an industry shift and evolve to meet you where you are? So that's been a journey over the last 10 years. And and I don't think that I'm stopping or looking back. I think I, I continually lead with curiosity and try to evolve uh, how we address the consumer, but also how we meet the fit pro where they're at and help them with their career. So in terms of, um, you know, keeping with education and aspect of that, you know, continuing education is a big thing, obviously, for professionals. Where are we at with that? Or where do you see it being currently? And where would you like to see it going with continuing education? Yeah, so continuing education, we in our industry, I think very similar to nursing or to physical therapy, we have continuing ed- continuing education credits that we earn every year or every two years when it's time for your renewal. So I get certified, I spend that four to six months, I earn my certificate, I start working, and then every two, one to two years, I need to be earning these continuing education credits and submitting them to my CEC agency. And so the, the, the way that's the way the system works now. And I, I think that it's a must to have continuing education. And so I, I don't disagree with that model. I think what we're seeing lately and what I, I know we're seeing because we're in the business of providing continuing mm-hmm. education is that you can get an education in a wider variety of places. So as I was an early Early in my career, I was only able to get CEC credits when I went to a live convention. But now, fast forward all these years, you can get continuing education online from your CEC provider like we talked about. You could get it from an agency like IDEA. You can get it from... Amy Thompson's online platform, which I don't have, but you can get it from <laughs> me directly and right. I might have the credits assigned behind it. You can get it through uh, colleges and universities. So there's so many places that you can get continuing education, but again, the quality does vary and uh, whether or not it meets the needs of your certifying agency are also uh, an important question to be asking. And what about um, your large um, health and wellness conferences? You know, there's quite a bit to choose from. And obviously, there's some that are much larger for that. And over my time in educating professionals and hiring people, there's often comes the question of, well, I don't know which one to go to. I'm not sure what works for me or they just there's just not a lot of information that they understand because they're busy just working all the time. You know, what would be your advice to that person or those people? Yeah, I would definitely say look at the program and do your research about what it is they're offering and then be very clear about your future goals. What is your five-year business plan for yourself and your business, your two-year business plan? And will that conference help you get closer or provide content that will help you fill in your own gaps and get closer to your business goals? So a conference like ours, like Ideas, Idea World, we have different tracks. So you can come to our event. It's a four-day event. You can spend the day, you can spend the whole event learning about nutrition and behavior change or growing your business or club and studio summit. So we have a whole section catered to business owners, or you could attend classes all day and learn how to be a better practitioner and instructor. So there's conferences 
that are all inclusive and all you can eat. But there's also now a lot of conferences that are very specialized. So you could go for one or two days and learn about a very specific niche in the industry, any one of the ones I just described. So I would say first do your due diligence around what you need to learn. If you're just trying to fulfill a CEC requirement, then you're going to go with the one that offers the most CECs. But if you truly are trying to really grow yourself as a professional or as a person or as a business owner, you'll want to look for content that is specific to your needs. So how do you feel the the industry is done with kind of having to pivot with a lot of these conferences being canceled and moving to virtual-based conferences or clinics? So we did. Our live event was scheduled for early July. We canceled it in April. And then we've re, we've planned, we've adapted, and we now have a virtual event that will be a two-day online event in August. Um, the learning curve has been steep for an event organizer right. to figure out how we can bring, well, one, we want to honor the brand. We don't want to disappoint our loyal followers who are used yeah. to this this enormous convention and the experience of that. So we took our our time to pick a platform that was unique and different from anything we'd seen that can still give the experience of being there in person through the expo and the award ceremonies that we give and really all of the different education. Um, So those, that was key for us. We needed to make sure that it was true to our brand if we were going to do it. And we wanted a lot of the virtual conferences we've seen, um, the ones that jumped in early, they had a lot of challenges with technology. So mm-hmm. either, you know, it kept cutting out or it would cut off a presenter <laughs> completely. And it, it was just, I just felt so bad for them because everybody was struggling to figure it out and they were the first. But I think we've... I think you what you can expect it's it's just like what we're seeing now with the consumer at home. They have their gym when it reopens and they have an option online. Well, I don't think we're going to look back as an industry as it relates to live events. Live is always best whether it's a conference or your fitness class. But if you can't make it, there's this great virtual version that can go hand in hand with a live event that could be available to you in years to come. So you're thinking these these events will now be kind of um, both options uh, going down the road. To, hey, maybe there's an opportunity to have both of these things instead of just one. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, there's a lot of, again, it, we've tried to do this before where we had live streaming during the event and you run into a whole bunch of the bandwidth challenges and you all the permissions of being in a hotel and having access to the technology you need. But I could see certain tracks that would be either live streamed or recorded on site and available in, you know, within a matter of hours. And that's really our goal is from this learning experience this year, how can we take a version of our four-day event and make it available to people all around the globe that either travel is prohibitive for them or, you know, they just had that first baby and can't make it to the show or whatever their case. We know that not everybody can make it every year in person. It's awesome. I think it's an interesting time, especially for fitness, as you're hearing a lot about gym reopenings. I talked to Graham about this and kind of the the delicate nature of those things as we go up and down with with uh, how things are moving in our country and cases and things of that nature. It'll be interesting to see where 
our business goes or the innovation and the shift that might occur because of all this? Yeah, and we work with all of our operators from state to state. We're trying to make sure they have the proper guidelines and that when they are able to reopen, and some are, many are open now, that we're sharing best practices and really uh, helping each other across the board because it's not good for any of us if a club has an outbreak in their club or has mm-hmm. a setback. And, um, you know, we were just, when we're recording this, California clubs are now closed and they were open for a few weeks and we've had another setback. So we're all sharing best practices. We know that those who are healthy are are actually doing better in this current pandemic. And mm-hmm. we know that the community piece is so important. So we really want to see clubs reopen, but of course it has to be safe. And of course we need standards and, me- and measures in place to ensure the public's safety. Wonderful. Well, Amy, thank you so much. Uh, just like Rams, huge amount of information. Um, you're very good at what you do. And um, I really appreciate you giving me some of your time today. Oh, thank you. And back to the intro, I, I really pride myself on relationships. And I have, I've been in the industry for over 25 years. So it really means a lot that that you, that my reputation preceded me even prior to us meeting, because I oh, do yeah. take a lot of pride in that. So thank you for honoring um the time we've spent together and for honoring our profession the way you do and giving us time on your podcast. Yeah, no problem at all. And um, I look forward to being in touch uh, more. And uh, this, uh, I think, is going to be a really good episode for people who are seasoned veterans in the business, or they're just thinking about getting into it, or they just got in. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Thanks again for having me. You got it. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine. And when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally. A daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences and it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about and it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else it's your daily reminder that there is good in the world even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes so get the donut stay informed it's hundred percent free you can unsubscribe anytime Visit thedonut.co or text DONUT to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.